And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And this week, I want to discuss the Lakers' ongoing coaching search, as well as some reporting that I had on Russell Westbrook and the status of the trade talks with him. First, let's start with the coaching search. As of now, the Lakers are down to three candidates, as you should already know. Darvin Ham, Terry Stotts, and Kenny Atkinson. They've started to do the interview process. They've already interviewed Terry and Darvin. And I think all three candidates make a lot of sense for various reasons. I think that the Lakers can't really go wrong with any of the three. I would argue that Aside from Charles Lee, who is also a Bucks assistant like Darvin Ham, uh, those were my three top candidates on the market. And I think the fact that they are finalists for the Lakers, they're also in the mix for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, it's the Lakers doing their due diligence and pursuing the best candidates. There was no Mark Jackson, no Scott Brooks, uh, no Steve Clifford. And, you know, no disrespect to any of those coaches, but obviously I, I think they're at a different level. And I think Scott Brooks or Mark Jackson would have been a giant mistake. And I think Steve Clifford would have basically been diet Frank Vogel and, and you know, a slightly worse version of him. So I think the fact that they're going with Terry, Kenny, or Darvin makes a lot of sense. And I think really, again, you know, credit to the Lakers this is probably the biggest thing of their offseason. I, I guess you could say what happens with Russell Westbrook is right there. I might say this is even more impactful because there's a chance Russell Westbrook is back. And, and you know, in which case the next head coach is going to have to figure out a way to maximize the fit with Russ and get him to buy into his system and potentially get him to buy into a bench role. So I do think that whoever they hire is the most important factor, you know, determinant of the offseason with Russell Westbrook and his status being a close second. But for me, for my money, my pick would be Darvin Ham. I think that he checks every box for the Lakers. He is a former Lakers assistant head coach, was an assistant coach with them from 2011 through 2013. He's a former NBA player, which uh, players, as we know, historically tend to buy in more to former players, people who have actually you know, been in their shoes and, and can relate to them on a different level. Uh, he's won two championships, one as a player in 2004 with Detroit, which I'm sure many Laker fans will remember that one, and 2021 with Milwaukee uh, last year. So he's had success uh, on as both a player and a coach. He's been under Mike Budenholzer for almost a decade. You know, Part of that bud pop coaching tree, which we've seen have so much success. Quinn Snyder, Taylor Jenkins, Bud, uh, on and on, Ime Udoka. Like, 
just even Brett Brown, I would say, you know, not not the best example of them, but but had some success in Philly. Like the coaches that have come out of the Spurs system and, and really from under Pop and and you know, sort of his lineage, if we're making this like a family tree, like all those coaches have done really well for the most part. I, I think Jim Boylan might be the the lone exception. So I think Darvin Ham has a great pedigree. Uh, you know, he, he was a role player, he was a tough, hard-nosed guy. By all accounts, players love him. He's an expert in player development, also a bit of a defensive guy. So I think he's someone that could both be a coach for the now and a coach for the future, which I think is difficult to find in the modern NBA. Uh, not something that's necessarily... I don't think Terry Stotts is a coach for the future. I, I think he's a, more of a coach for the present. Kenny Atkinson might be a coach for the future. He's a little bit younger. Uh, you know, Darvin and, and Kenny are on the younger side. Uh, you know, I, th- I think Darvin's 48, Kenny's like 54, 55. And then Terry's, I want to say 60, 61, something like that. So I think Kenny's a, another player development guy. So he also would kind of fit with a longer term timeline. But to me, there really isn't a box that, that Darvin Ham doesn't check other than not having that actual head coaching experience. But one thing that Bud is, is known for is having his assistant coaches more involved than on some other staffs. So, you know, Darvin has had a, he's played a big role with Milwaukee and their success and Atlanta and their success when Bud was there. And he's helped develop Brooke Lopez in Milwaukee and, and kind of phased him into that second half of his career. And he's helped Giannis. And again, he's someone that players really like and respect. And I, I think that's important for a, a locker room that I think needs some of that gravitas, needs some of that accountability from their head coach. And you know, Rob Polinka, that was one of the things he said at his exit interview and, and made very clear that the Lakers are looking for someone with that strong personality who can command a locker room. So I, I think Darvin Ham fits that, but he's also someone who's really strong with X's and O's. And he's someone that has been a finalist, has been a runner up in you know, for, for multiple coaching jobs at this point. And I think it's just really a matter of time, whether it's with the Lakers, the Hornets, or someone else until he gets his head coaching opportunity. So I think he's among these three. I think he would be the best fit. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. As for Terry Stotts, I think he, he's probably the second best fit. For me, it's it's the offense and just the, you know, looking at his Portland success. They, they made the playoffs in eight of nine years. Uh, they had a, a top five offense multiple times, top 10 offense in, in over half of those seasons. And made a conference finals really honestly like maximize their their ceiling like I, I don't you know there's some people that 
I, I think the consensus was always kind of higher on the Blazers than I was. I, I was always kind of low on them because I just looked at it like you have two small guards that will always kind of compromise your defense. And, you know, you they never kind of figured out the wing situation. And it was Mo Harkless and Al Farouk Aminu and eventually Robert Covington. But like they just never could figure out the right wing players to put around those two. And you, you had to have specific players that could, you know, basically three and D guys that could cover up for Dame and CJ defensively. So they never figured that out. They also had some health injuries. They ran into the Warriors multiple times. Like I think overall Terry did a, a pretty impressive job. And I think when when coaches don't make multiple conference finals or don't win a championship, sometimes we underrate them. But uh Terry's someone who came out of the the Rick Carlisle coaching tree and and you know was was part of his staffs and uh, was the offensive coordinator in Dallas the year they won the championship. So like he, he's had some high level success. And I think for the Lakers, the, the offense has been aside from health, obviously, and, and uh, last season, rust and depth and, and things of that nature, the offense has been their biggest weakness. And I think as you know, if you can kind of do what similar to when Steve Kerr came in and basically kept, the Warriors defense that was under Mark Jackson and was already elite and made some tweaks, but, but kept it pretty similar, added some more switching. And then the offensive end was where he, he revamped things. I think Terry Stotts could have a similar impact with the Lakers where if they can kind of keep the defensive principles that they had under Frank Vogel, although depending on who the Lakers bring back, it could end up being a completely brand new roster again in which case it might not matter if they uphold Frank Vogel's defensive principles, but obviously he's one of the best defensive minds in the league. They were successful under that. They won a championship with that. So I think it would be smart to uphold some of that, but I think that the key would be revamping the offense and implementing more modern principles, uh, more dribble handoffs and and pick and rolls and uh, you know, flare screens and uh, pin downs and, and just different different wrinkles to the offense and, and spicing it up a little bit more and, and not making it as, as straightforward and simple as it's been. And part of that is, I, I, I don't want to put that all on Frank. I think part of that is the Lakers not having that offensive coordinator necessarily. And then another part of that is the way that a LeBron James team is run. And, and it's, it's going to, you know, a LeBron offense is going to be run a certain way most of the time. But I, I think you could add some wrinkles in and, and kind of take some pages out of, what Eric Spolster did in Miami, what Ty Lue did in Cleveland, and and kind of implement some of that stuff. I think LeBron wants to play progressively more off of the ball. That was part of the reason why they got Dennis Schroeder uh, two years ago. Part of the reason why they got Russell Westbrook last year. And, and you know, I think we'll end up getting another lead ball handler slash guard uh, at some point. So I think LeBron wants someone to help him manage the offense and, and manage that workload. And I think the Lakers can get more creative and at least at least for when LeBron is off the floor, right? Like, so if you're going to have your LeBron offense when LeBron is on the floor, that's one thing. But your non-LeBron offense needs to be better, needs to be more creative. And that's really where we've seen the Lakers crater is they've been able to put out some pretty good defensive lineups without LeBron. But it's been the offensive end that has just been a disaster. Basically, LeBron's entire Lakers tenure, but especially since AD got there, the non-LeBron lineups have always been bad. So I think that's one thing Terry Stotts could address. 
as far as concerns with Terry, from what I've heard, there's been, you know, there's a level of stubbornness and, and sort of rigidity with his principles and the way he views things and, and kind of very much like a f- offensive minded Frank Vogel, where he wasn't the most adjustable or adaptable guy. And I, I think that could be an issue. Uh, there's also the issue of, of, you know, he's a bit older, he's in his 60s. And uh, once coaches kind of get there, you, you don't know how much longer they want to coach. So again, I, I think it's more of a, this guy's going to be the head coach for a handful of years versus a Darvin Ham or potentially even a Kenny Atkinson who could be your head coach for the next 10 to 15 years potentially. Uh, but Terry to me is, you know, I'd rank them Darvin, Terry, Kenny. But again, I think the Lakers can't really go wrong. With Kenny, he's someone who is a player, you know, player development specialist, got his start as a head coach in Brooklyn, really implemented some good stuff there, I think, helped change the culture, helped get them back to the playoffs. And ultimately, you know, kind of as we've seen with some of these situations, when you have a coach in a rebuilding situation or, or with a young team, and then they get some stars it can be difficult to make that transition. And I think that's something he kind of ran into in Brooklyn as well as some competing interests there, right? Because part of the Brooklyn deal was not only getting Katie and Kyrie, but also getting their friend, DeAndre Jordan, who they wanted to start and kind of be somewhat of a big three, even though he had already entered the back nine of his career. And Kenny Atkinson pushed back against that. Uh, Most famously, you know, with Kyrie, but a little bit with KD. And he wanted to start Jared Allen. And uh, as history will have it, as we can see a few years later, Kenny Atkinson was right. DeAndre Jordan has continued to, to just get worse. And Jared Allen has become an all-star. And of course, at, you know, at their respective peaks and primes, DJ was the better player, but he was no longer that player in Brooklyn. And it didn't make sense to start him. didn't make sense to pay him as much as they're paying him. But that is the cost of signing a couple stars and having them have some level of power and wanting to bring their friend in. And uh, that's ultimately what happened. So I, I think if anything, uh, I, I give Kenny some extra, you know, if this is like around the horn, I'm, I'm giving him some extra points for not wanting to start DeAndre Jordan after we saw Frank Vogel start the season that way. And then Doc Rivers continue that into the playoffs uh, with DJ. Like DJ to me is probably on the outside looking in of, of just the NBA, like probably should be out of the league next year, but at, at best is like a third string center who, doesn't really play. And and if you have him in your rotation, if you have him starting, uh, there's something wrong. And like you can find a better center in the G League and or just go, you know, slide your power forward up to center. But with Kenny, you know, he he's known as not only a player development guy, which I think sometimes people put those types of coaches in boxes. Like I think player you know, player development can is not just a young player thing. It can be with veteran players. And if anything, I find that skill set attractive for the Lakers who are going to once again have primarily vet minimum contracts to improve the roster. So if if Kenny Atkinson can help develop a culture in which players are wanting to get better and add different wrinkles to their game and and grow and, and, and develop and evolve as players, like that to me is the type of coach that could potentially get a you know more out of a less talented roster.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. But even looking at guys like Austin Reeves and, and Stanley Johnson and, and Wenyan Gabriel, if he can maximize those guys, like that helps elevate the Lakers ceiling. And that's something that I think is really important. Now, that's also something I think Darvin Ham provides. So that's where, again, I, I give Darvin Ham the edge and I have him as my top candidate. But if Kenny Atkinson can do that and can improve AD's jumper or can improve uh, his passing or can get, um, you know, just unlock certain things with guys that maybe other coaches don't think of or, or don't see or don't know how to unlock. I think that's a positive. Uh, I also think him being on the staff of Ty Lu a couple years ago and then Steve Kerr this year, that's attractive. You know, Ty and, and Steve are, are two of the top five or six coaches in the league, in my opinion. So getting to be around those coaches on a daily basis, there's no way Kenny Atkinson is not a better head coach today than he would be, you know, would have been a couple years ago, right? So that to me, uh, I know it's not always that straightforward, but that to me is like, those are two of the best situations. And, you know, two years ago, Clippers made the conference finals. This year, the Warriors are in the conference finals, about to be in the finals, most likely. So he's had two deep playoff runs under two elite head coaches. Like, I just don't see how that doesn't rub off on him to some extent. And it's not to say he's Ty Lu or he's Steve Kerr, but again, I think... The Kenny Atkinson in 2022 is better than the Kenny Atkinson in 2019. And sometimes we have seen some of these assistants, when they get that second shot as a head coach, do a better job the second time around. And to be honest, I don't think he did a bad job in Brooklyn. I think you know people can kind of view it different ways, but uh, I think he was solid. So I think the Lakers are headed in the right direction with the coaching search. I have to say, I, <laughs> there's been several times I've, I've had some pause, like you know with the Doc Rivers rumors and Mark Jackson and. Uh, some of the names that have been thrown out, but I like all three of these guys. I think that it, it's smart of them to head in, in this direction. I suspect Darvin Ham will, will be the head coach, but I think Kenny and, and Terry are, are both solid consolation prizes. It's also going to be interesting to see how much Charlotte factors into this. They are the only other head coaching vacancy right now, and they're going to have a say. And I mean, you can make the case that them being in the East, them being a playing team, like them having some young talent and stars, you know, young star in the mellow ball, uh, another up and coming guy in, in Miles Bridges, like that is an attractive situation, especially being in the East, which I know might've had a better season this year, but I think is going to be a little bit more wide open next year compared with the West. So you could say that's a more attractive job. I would still say the Lakers job is, but I think you can make a case for Charlotte. So I'm interested to see how that all plays out. Let's transition to Russell Westbrook and a report that I had earlier in the week about the demand right now being a first round pick uh, from from what I've heard from league sources that in conversations the Lakers have had with rival teams, they have been demanding a first round pick uh, in exchange for Russell Westbrook. And as of now, the Lakers have no intention of using a first round pick to facilitate a trade. I think they would do it if it's, let's say, the Indiana deal and you could get a Malcolm Brogdon and a Miles Turner 
or a Malcolm Brogdon and a Buddy Heald. That, that's less ideal, but but still, you're getting a couple starter level players. I think it's it's probably worth it. But if we're talking Russell Westbrook for John Wall, Russell Westbrook trade dump to OKC, uh, I think I can see why the Lakers would push back on that. And it might just be a matter of time. Like I think part of this is there's still that segment, you know, that that sentiment around the league that you don't want to help the Lakers out. You don't want to be the Memphis Grizzlies in 2008 handing them Pau Gasol. And, and not that there's a Pau Gasol trade out there, but I don't think the way that Rob has operated at times has helped as has been reported in other outlets. But uh, I, I think there's still just kind of an anti-Lakers sentiment around the league where no one wants to help the Lakers get back into the playoffs. Like, you know, there were a lot of people that loved and, and really enjoyed seeing the Lakers train wreck and, and seeing them miss the play-in, right? Like, uh, the, the Lakers are still one of those divisive franchises where you kind of either love them or you hate them. And, and most of the league hates them because of the success they've had in, in getting stars like LeBron and AD. And a lot of people feeling like they only got them because they were the Lakers and not because of the actual due diligence and, and work they're doing. So there's always kind of that jealousy slash mockery of the Lakers kind of going around. And I think Everyone knows they kind of have to trade Russell Westbrook. That is partially why they are now entertaining keeping him. Uh, I do think, from what I've heard, there is a segment within the franchise that does believe Russ could be utilized better, that this could work, uh, that they could, you know, with the right head coach, with the right supporting cast, they could figure that out. I don't buy that. And, and as I wrote in, in a column earlier this week, there just, to me, is no redeeming argument, no redeeming quality you know, of like the fit of the big three together. And of course, LeBron and AD, those two fit well. We saw them win a championship, still one of the best duos in the league. But the Lakers just, I mean, I just don't see how they can bring Russell Westbrook back. And I think, you know, like the Lakers were worse with their big three on the floor together than not. Like they had a minus 3.5 net rating in the trio's minutes together versus a minus 2.9 net rating as a team. So the Lakers were technically better in combinations without their big three on the floor together. Uh, there was Russ. I mean, they went 11 and 10 together with the big three. They were 0 and 5 with Russ as the only star, 20 and 32 with Russ plus only one of LeBron and AD. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Russ had arguably his worst season ever. Uh, And the big three as a trio 
without a traditional center had a minus 0.1 net differential according to cleaning the glass. But even that is only mildly promising that you, you have the ideal, you know, optimal conditions, no center clogging the lane. I, you know, most cases two shooters around them and there's still a slight net negative. Uh, so to me, the Lakers have to do everything they can to flip Russell Westbrook. I think that if they bring him back, they will be a play in team. Like look at these teams. Tell me which one they're going to be ahead of next season. Golden state, Dallas, Phoenix, Memphis, Clippers with Kawhi and PG healthy, Denver with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. healthy. Like that is six teams right there. That those are my six teams currently as currently constructed in the West. That puts the Lakers at seventh and back in the playing tournament. And that's before mentioning Utah, who, depending on what they do with Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, could be back in that mix. Minnesota, New Orleans, two young teams that just had some success in the postseason. And uh you know, I think had impressive showings in the first round and and should be back, I think, in, in that mix. So like the Lakers, you can make the case are somewhere in that like seven to ten range again back in the play in tournament, uh, if they bring Russell Westbrook back. Now if they don't and they could get a Brogdon and Turner, a Brogdon and Heald, uh, a Hayward, a Hayward and Rogier, a Rosier uh, you know, Rogier and, and some other pieces from Charlotte, like, okay, now that that's interesting and, and um you can talk me into that being something that that could work and and you know i think that makes the lakers ceiling higher i think all those pieces fit around lebron and ad very well give them some depth give them some you know multiple starters and of course you know those trades might involve a first round pick which i, I think the lakers would be wise to give up a first round pick in that case but if it's if it if they just refuse to which i that's not my sense from from what i've heard that it's it's more of so far, teams are demanding that, and I, I think the Lakers are trying to be strategic and, and not not just cave and, and give a first round pick uh, at, at the first ask. But I think if that truly is the case, and they are not willing to give a first round pick, then yeah, maybe Russ does come back. But if they eventually will, and or the league softens their stance and kind of eventually says, okay, Russ is an expiring contract, we're trying to shed, uh, shed some salary, let's make this deal. Then I, f- I find it, the whole thing interesting, and I, I think there's a possibility. But to me, bringing back Russ caps you as likely a playing team. And if you're a playing team, I mean, you're maybe winning around at most, right? Uh, I mean, first you got to qualify for the playoffs, but but even so, like, I just I, I don't see them winning more than like a round, and and that's that's optimistic, right? Like realistically, they they lose in like five games in, in the first round or something, five or six, but without Russ, I still think there's probably a cap as like a four or five seed, but that's better than a cap as like a seven seed, right? So, uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's tough to see them ahead of like a Golden State, a Dallas, uh, Memphis, Phoenix, depending on what they do with DeAndre Ayton. Like those teams are, are up there. Clippers should be really good. Like Denver should be better. So, I mean, the West is just loaded. And, and that's where if you're the Lakers, like unless you're just punting on next season and saying like, hey, we don't care what happens with LeBron and AD, which... I don't see them doing that. Like if you're going all in and approaching next year, like a championship or bust year, which every year basically is for the Lakers, then I think you got to flip Russ. And if it costs a first round pick, it costs a first round pick. But if you win another championship with LeBron and AD and you get those missing pieces that you need, it's all worth it, right? Like the AD trade is worth it. Brandon Ingram can continue to get better. Uh, You know, those picks could, could end up being something useful. Like Lakers won a championship with Anthony Davis and that trade was worth it. So that's just 
my stance on it. I, I, I you know, th- there is a growing sentiment that Russell Westbrook will be back. It's a growing possibility, but I think that would be a giant mistake. I think it would cap the Lakers ceiling as a likely a play in team. And I think at most a one round win team, whereas that still might be their ceiling anyway, but flipping him at least to me gives them a chance to be better and gives them a chance to, I think, you know, potentially be on the back end of the home court conversation and potentially have a chance to make a conference finals run, depending on what other pieces they're able to get, you know, health and how the bracket plays out and all that stuff. But, uh, that's my opinion. Uh, let me guys, let me know, you know, if you have not read my story, be sure to do so on the athletic, but if you have thoughts on this, reach out to me on Twitter and I'll do my best to read them and, and get back to you. Uh, but thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, Instagram, and TikTok at Yovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you've not subscribed to this podcast, you could do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening right now. And if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, you can do so by going to theathletic.com, downloading the app. And it helps if you subscribe off of one of my stories. So please do so. Subscribe off my Rust story. I would appreciate it. Uh, but thank you guys so much. I'll be back next week. Peace.